It is, but you guys remembered it was Saturday, made it out to worship with us, so welcome. Uh, it's good to have you here with us worshiping this Saturday night. Uh, so last week was Christmas. I hope that was phenomenal time with your family. I hope it was restful. I hope, like we were talking about the end of worship, it was an opportunity to remember the hope we have, that in Jesus Christ, that he came for us. But I also wanted to hit on next week. If you've been coming here for less than a year, you might not be familiar. Next week is our annual sharing service. So it looks a little different than like tonight did. We'll still worship together, but rather than me up here on a mic for 30 to 40 minutes, we're each sharing what God did in 2018. It's kind of like sitting around uh, the table at Thanksgiving and sharing what God's been doing in your life as a family because we are here a family of faith. But that's what that's going to look like next week. So be praying about what God would have you share it's both challenging and encouraging for all of us to hear from one another about what Christ has been doing, what God has been doing in our hearts and in our lives. And then at the end of January, I also want to put it on your radar, we have our anniversary service. We're doing a joint anniversary service as we did last year in Newport News. Both campuses in one place worshiping together. That's at the end of January. It's going to be our third year together in Suffolk, and that's how we're going to celebrate. It's going to be a dessert reception afterwards. It's going to be awesome. So you can put both of those on your calendar. Be looking forward to those things. But as you may know, maybe you don't, we've been in a joint sermon series. So we are one church, two locations, but we've been in one sermon series at both campuses about the Holy Spirit during this Christmas season. So I remind you that, for one, because if, if you want to dig deeper if you want to uh, look at different facets of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Fred is also preaching sermons on the Holy Spirit there in Newport News, and those are available at citylifeva.com. So he's a phenomenal teacher. I've been listening to them. I recommend that you listen to them. And, and last weekend, originally, right, best laid plans, we were going to switch campuses. And uh, I was going to preach in Newport News. He was going to preach here. We were going to preach from John 16 about the function and the work of the Holy Spirit as revealed by Jesus Christ. But <laughs> why didn't we do that? Because it's been a wild month. Maybe you know, maybe you don't know. Uh, my wife has had not one but two brain surgeries in the past month. She had one on November 14th. And then because of complications and an infection, she had another one on December 14th. So nothing kicks your plans and routines in the teeth like two brain surgeries in the same month. So uh, we've, we've walked through that as a married couple. We've, you guys have been so awesome rallying around us as a church with not just one but multiple meal trains and all your texts and all your love. We love you guys. Steph can't wait to get back here. I can't wait to have Raj run around these aisles. But uh, Raj and us as parents, it's tough for us because he's less than two years removed from the orphanage. So like all parents, like you guys for your little ones, you want uh, you want. Uh, a sense of comfort, security, routine, and again, nothing will kick that in the teeth like brain surgery and being in the hospital so much in one month. So just, I was trying to give him a sense of normalcy. I think it was about a week ago, I think, one of those days where it was like 65 degrees outside. And uh, I was like, all right, he woke up from his nap. We're going to go on one of our walks. In the summer, when it's warm out, we would go on walks multiple times a day. He's, he's an outdoorsman. The next Bear grills. So I was like, all right, we're going to wake up from the nap, put some clothes on him, took him outside, put him on the sidewalk. Right, we're going to go for a walk. He just started crying. Just one of those, I don't know what it was, probably just the stress of everything was, was weighing on him too. So we went back to the porch, gave him a lollipop, sat on my lap, and we just sat there. Roz doesn't just sit there very often, right? Totally peaceful for so long that eventually I bent forward like, did he fall asleep on my lap? 
But as I looked, I could see his eyes. The only thing in front of us that was moving were the clouds in the sky, which were going from right to left. Just all these clouds. You could see he was just looking at them while he sucked on his lollipop. And there wasn't any conversation being had. He's still nonverbal, right? He's only got about six words in his repertoire. But I was thinking, man, one day I'm going to share with him, as I've shared here, his great-grandmother, my grandmother on my dad's side, her favorite verse is the prophet Nahum, and it's chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, the clouds are the dust of God's feet. And I think that's powerful, the more I've reflected on that over the years, because it speaks to me two things, right? Just how big God is, how majestic he is, that the clouds, they're just the dust on his feet. But at the same time, no matter what season you're in, whether you're at a mountaintop or a valley, more often than not, the clouds are there. God is present. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't leave us. He's both infinite and he's intimate. One of the most profound truths we can reflect on with God. But as he continued to sit there, there's a random moment where Raj was sitting still, so I was cherishing. He was just on my lap, right? I started thinking about another verse. I've been meditating on it for a while. It's about clouds. And you might laugh thinking, why? how do you meditate on this verse for so long? But put on your thinking caps because this is profound. It's Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 3. It says, if clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. That's not exactly some trivia you're going to pull out like at a dinner date to impress somebody. That's Solomon speaking. You're like, well, duh, right? (laughs) Come better with some more wisdom next time. We understand this. Clouds are full of rain. They pour rain on the earth. I think for us, though, clouds are often an afterthought. When we think of clouds, it's to to Instagram a photo of the sunset reflecting off of them. Rarely do we think about clouds and our need for rain. Often we're looking at the forecast hoping there isn't any rain. But the desired function for clouds when this verse was written was simple. From clouds, they wanted rain. Because this is from a perspective of farming and agriculture. This entire chapter in Ecclesiastes is all these pictures from farming and agriculture. And if there's no rain for them, there's no harvest. If there's no harvest, there's no food. If there's no food, there's famine. If the famine's bad enough, we don't make it, right? We die. But do you know that at any moment, the atmosphere contains over 37 million billion gallons of water in vapor form? I didn't, I didn't say that wrong. Million billion. 37 million billion gallons of water in vapor form. That means at any time, if all of it was rained down, it would cover the entire earth with an inch of liquid. That's how much vapor is up there in the atmosphere. Yet there are so many clouds that go over our heads every day that never release any of that water. They never release any rain. They're good to look at, but they're not exactly going to benefit a harvest. They're good to look at, but in Ecclesiastes, they weren't really blessing anybody. But again, in our day, we often don't concern ourselves with farming. We're not worried about how the crops are this year, the harvest, right? We're not thinking agriculturally, but there is a harvest that Scripture tells us to never neglect. It's one that the Holy Spirit wants to reach. And when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we should, like a cloud that's full of water, overflow with life-giving water and have an impact on that harvest, It says in John chapter 7, verse 37, we looked at this verse when we opened this series a month ago. It says, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. By this he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So again, we talked 
about a month ago about how this setting for John chapter 7 was this massive religious festival. If this festival was going down in Hampton Roads as lovers of Jesus, we probably would have been there. It was packed with throngs of people. And Jesus is saying to those people who believed in him, it's good that you know my word. It's good that my word and, and the laws and instructions that were given to you, that this informs your worship. But do you know my spirit? Do you know the Holy Spirit? And as we continue to read the New Testament, we see the implications of this question. Because if you truly know the Holy Spirit, you won't just gather amongst yourselves and other like-minded people in worship. If you truly know the Holy Spirit and are filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll go out and have an impact on the harvest field. You'll reach the lost. We're called to produce rain. Or as it speaks to here, living water that will carry and will release. Because what you contain, you'll rain. As you look at this image of, of clouds. But you know what we see so often in our culture is, is more like acid rain, right, in terms of the interactions people have and the atmosphere that's left behind in those interactions. But out of those that are filled with the Holy Spirit should be a steady flow of living water. Life should flow from us. You know, in denominations of the church, there's often debates about what is, what is the, the litmus test for being filled with the Holy Spirit? What does that officially look like? Well, Jesus makes it clear that life should flow from us like water. We're filled with the Spirit. When you leave a room, life was left behind. When you're in a conversation, life is deposited. When you're in a relationship with somebody, it's life-giving for them. And we've been talking about the main point of this series, that the Holy Spirit, this Christmas season, wants to help us not just behold the life of Jesus and admire the life of Jesus, but to experience the life of Jesus and the life he offers for ourselves and to walk in it. But the life that he gives us, the life that we're called to walk in, it's not stagnant. It's not like celebrating this puddle of water that we get to have amongst ourselves that we cling to. No, it's supposed to be living water flowing from us, life that flows from us, not just a cloud that we Instagram and behold, but a cloud that brings rain and brings harvest. All these cloud and rain metaphors, you might say, well, they're pretty, they're poetic, but (laughs) what's the practical takeaway? Like, how does this impact my day-to-day, this living water flowing from us? What does that look like? That's what I want to look at for the rest of tonight. And you know, you, you look at the implications. What does this look like? It was back in February. We looked at Psalm 23, how it talks about God leads us beside streams of water. And when we think of this imagery, no doubt we, we picture ourselves as sheep, picture ourselves as the lamb and the flock that he's leading. But you know, nowhere in Psalm does it actually talk about sheep. There's 400 mentions of of us as sheep in Scripture. There's not a single one in the book of Psalms. But because God is the shepherd, that informs who we are. We realize, oh, if he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. If you know who God is, you come to know who you are. When you come to know who the Holy Spirit is, you come to understand who you are and your identity in new ways. And when you come to know the Holy Spirit's desires, it begins to inform, okay, this is my purpose. This is my life's mission. If you want to find your identity, find out who God is, and it will inform your identity in no other way, like nothing else can. You know, culture so often calls us to this journey of self-discovery, of finding yourself, But I would tell you, find out who God is, the one who created you, and you'll find out what you're created for. And I want to do this same exercise in identity, kind of like God being our shepherd, but I want to do it with the Holy Spirit tonight. 
Because the Holy Spirit is giving names and roles in Scripture, and that informs us not just about who the Holy Spirit is, but what our life, calling, and mission when we're filled with the Spirit should be. Because names in our culture, they don't carry a ton of weight. You look at pop culture, uh, recently there, were, there have been kids named Apple, uh, Blue. I love this one. Nicolas Cage named his son Kal-El, right? Star, uh, not Star Wars, Superman's original name in the comic books. Like, you might think that's awesome. I kind of think that's awesome. But <laughs> that's our culture. But in Hebrew culture, you didn't just throw names around just on a whim. Names had deep, significant meaning. The three-syllable word for soul, within this word for soul in Hebrew, are two syllables that make up the word name. Why? Because in that culture, your name is the key to your soul. The Hebrew word for name also has close ties to the Hebrew word for book. Because in their eyes, names told a story. A story of potential, a story of life's mission. So names were a big deal in this culture. So when the Holy Spirit is given names within this culture, we pay attention. We should pay attention. Because they tell us a story about who he is, about who we're called to be when he fills us, and about what our mission is and what our purpose is. So I want to look at four names tonight, four roles that the Holy Spirit is given in the New Testament, and what that speaks to us about his personality, and what that speaks to us about our purpose. And the first one tonight that I want to look at is witness. Now, the, the word witness has two meanings. Right? A person that sees an event, that's passive. You could just see an accident or, or see anything happen, and you're a witness to what happened. But there's also a second meaning to witness. It means evidence and proof. And in verb form, it can mean to give evidence, to testify to. That's active. And this latter definition is what the scriptures point to when it uses the word witness. For instance, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 15 through 17, it says, The Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So this long passage, the Holy Spirit is witnessing to us. And the author of Hebrews is highlighting the fact that the Old Testament system of sacrifices, all throughout chapter 10, he's talking about how, yeah, it was, it was well and good, but it never actually justified us once and for all for our sins. And he points to Jesus Christ, the once and for all sacrifice, and the hope that we have. The Holy Spirit is witness to the hope that we have. This is our hope, Jesus Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit's witness. And I think it's fitting, because of this that we see in Hebrews, that in Acts 1.8, when Jesus is telling the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit, what does he tell them? He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will. And I want to pause there. Because what he's about to speak to is what our purpose is going to be, what our calling is going to be, why the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them in power. What is this power going to do? If I'm, in, if I'm given like a superpower, I want to know, okay, what, what is my superpower? <laughs> it's not quite a superpower, but what is it? To be my witnesses. He calls us to be witnesses. And we might think, I can do that. Cool. I'll be a witness. And then we'll pull out of our back pocket the, and when necessary, use words card, right? I'll let my walk do the talking and I'll just play it cool. But what does it say in Acts 1-8, right after he calls us to be a witness? He says, telling people about me everywhere. Newsflash. Words are necessary. 
You know, if the gospel was about what we have to do and the checklist we have to check off and the hoops we have to jump through in order to be reconciled to God, then sure, we could act those out for the people around us. Maybe we could do those things and inform them about the gospel, but that's not the gospel. The glory of the gospel, the goodness of the gospel is that we're saved by grace through faith, not by our works, not by the things we do, but by faith. So no man can boast. So if we're going to explain that, the hope of Jesus Christ through his sacrifice and his grace, we're going to have to use words. It's not enough to simply do this and do that. If you even go back to the Old Testament, Isaiah 61 says in Isaiah 61, this passage that Jesus will go on to quote, he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to do what? Preach the good news. Some translations say proclaim. It's why the spirit of the Lord came upon him. It's why the spirit of the Lord comes upon us. And again, this is prophetically also speaking to Jesus. Jesus would quote this in the gospel of Luke in the temple, in the place of worship. But as much as that points to Jesus, you got to think, Who inspired all the prophets of the Old Testament to point to Jesus? The Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. Those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. You know, we too are called by the Spirit to point to Jesus. We may not point forward to his birth like the Old Testament prophets do, but we point back to his birth, and we point forward to his second coming, and we point back to the cross, and we point forward to the fact that he's coming back again. He's going to return. And you might say, well, you don't know me. I'm an introvert. Welcome to the club, right? I'm not good with words. I'm I'm not a people person. I don't know the Bible well enough. We've all got our list. We've all got our, our, our things we run down. But you know what I always find interesting and honestly to me some consolation is the fact that typically in the Bible little is known about God's messengers. Little is known about his witnesses. You know out of all the Bible we only know the name of two angels? Two. Out of all of the angels that God created, we only know two. Out of all the disciples, all 12 of them, we got very little biographical information. All things considered, we just know really about a few of their lives and what they were coming out of and what their biography would be. But I think that's the point, that God and his good news, it must be known, and his spirit can use anybody as a witness, qualified in our terms or not, remarkable in our terms or not. He wants to use people as his witness through his spirit. You know who the first person in Scripture to be filled with the Spirit was? Happens in Exodus chapter 35. Wasn't a prophet, wasn't a king, wasn't a priest, was a craftsman, was an artist, a guy who worked with his hands. We see from the early pages of the Bible that the Spirit's empowerment is for all facets of life. His empowerment is regardless of employment. It's not simply for prophets and priests or preachers and pastors. It's for each one of us in order to be a witness wherever God has placed us. So the questions we should ask ourselves tonight is, what's my witness then? What's the witness of my words, my interactions at my home or in my workplace? Is it living water or is it acid rain? Is it giving life or is it speaking death, right? Proverbs says there's the power of life and death in our tongues. What, is, what are we leaving behind? The Holy Spirit's within us. There should be a flow of living water. As the Holy Spirit is a witness, we should be a witness with the Holy Spirit in us. 
But the second word I want to look at is guide. You might call it guide or elsewhere it's called counselor. But in John 16, 13, Jesus says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Again, if you look back to the Old Testament, it reminds me of Isaiah chapter 30, where it says, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. With the Holy Spirit in us, that voice just doesn't come from behind us. It comes from within us. Sounds great, right? Like a Holy Spirit GPS just to to give us the next step at each moment in our life. Sign me up for that. John 14, Jesus speaks to the Holy Spirit as a counselor. When I think of a counselor, I think of a high school counselor, right? This is going to lay out what we can do with our life. What what am I going to be doing 10 years from now, five years from now? We want what we get at the end of John 16, 13. He will tell you about the future. I want that because we want to know what our future holds. We want to know what what is our future going to hold five years from now, 10 years from now. We want to know God's will for our lives. So often when we're focused on his will, we're looking 10 years, five years, a year down the road. I would tell you tonight God is far more concerned with this present moment, that God cares more about what he's asking us to do right now than what he's going to be asking us to do five years from now. I mean, God is outside of time, so maybe the better phrase way to say that is, is God wants me to care more about what he's asking me to do right now than I am worried about what's five to ten years down the road. And that's not to forsake planning or any kind of responsibility, but I would tell you where we are five years from now is going to be shaped greatly by how we're responding to the Holy Spirit right now. If I'm consumed with God's will for what's over the horizon and forsake the Spirit's prompting today, chances are I won't get there. We should ask, what's God's will for my life a lot less and start asking, what's the Holy Spirit leading me to do today a lot more? That's not to forsake looking five years down the road, but it's to ask the question more and more, what's the Holy Spirit asking of me right now? Because the Holy Spirit will lead you in Walmart when you're in an aisle and prompts you, hey, you need to go to aisle six. I want you to pray for the person working that register. Holy Spirit might prompt you when you're at your desk working on your budget and say, hey, I want this lump here to be donated to this over here. Or the Holy Spirit might be prompting you at the dinner table when you're with your family. Hey, I spoke this to you in the scripture. Share that with your family. The Holy Spirit's speaking all over the place. The question is, are we asking the right question? What are you prompting me to do right now? What are you prompting me to do today in this moment? And maybe you would say, well, <laughs> sounds nice, but I've, I've never heard the Holy Spirit speak. Yet, he still guides us when you speak of him being a guide in two eternal calls, the great command and the great commission, to love God, to love our neighbor, right? to go out and make disciples and baptize and teach people what we've learned, the hope that we have. He guides us in this. But what questions are we asking? Then another name for the Holy Spirit, is comforter. It says in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, speaking of the church, it says, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. I think we like the sound of, of God being our comforter. Right? We like it when, when the, the scriptures say he's the God of all comfort. Why? Quite simply, I like comfort. I like to be comfortable, right? We like our comfort zone. I like to reside there. But I have to ask myself this. Do I need a comforter if I'm living in my comfort zone? 
Do you need a comforter if you're comfortable? The answer is no. You could ask yourself another question. When do you need a comforter? By definition, when you're uncomfortable. (laughs) It's not what we would like to think, but the Holy Spirit is our comforter. Yet so many of us would say that he feels distant or he feels like an afterthought in our day-to-day, and it's not because the Holy Spirit doesn't care. But I would assert tonight that a lack of intimacy with the Holy Spirit can be a direct result of an unwillingness to step out of your comfort zone. God is our comforter. Why? Because we need comfort when? When we're uncomfortable. When we've stepped out of our comfort zone. We ought to remember the Holy Spirit's passion is to bring benefit and bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. Not us. When I want more of the Holy Spirit merely for my own benefit or ultimately for my own comfort, relationship and intimacy with the Holy Spirit will be elusive. Because, again, the prophet Amos, as we talked about weeks ago, we asked in the Old Testament, can two walk together except that they be agreed? That's a rhetorical question with a clear answer. It's no. But a question we should pause to consider in light of the above is why do we all too often kind of push back and resist sharing the hope we have? Why do we also often kind of say pause when it comes time to share our hope? I think if we're all honest, if I'm honest, it's so often fear. What will they think about me if I go there, right? How will they respond if, if I share that? I think sometimes our deepest desire is not to be a witness. It's like witness protection, right? Hold me back or hide me from those interactions and those conversations. But again, I would ask a question. Do we ever think about how God feels when we forsake our witness, when we don't share? Like a father we never talk about or like some spouse that we refuse to talk about publicly. So often we put God in that corner because we fear that people will think we're strange if we share about Jesus and the hope we have. But how often do we pause to think about what God feels and what he thinks when we say pause? If you look back at Acts 9.31, what two things go hand in hand? They walked in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and the church grew. So often in these days we walk in the fear of man, and the church suffers for it. Because the fear of man, as it says in Proverbs 29, it's a snare. But Proverbs also says again and again in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding. And it's it's life. It's this life that Christ offers. So what fuels you when it comes time to be a witness? But lastly, the Holy Spirit serves as a fuel for our witness. Or more specifically, he's not just fuel. Scripture talks about him as a helper. It says in John chapter 15, verse 26, it says, when the helper comes... Whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. You know, Steph and I, we have a a sarcastic sign in our our den, totally random. It says, it's the best I can do. Steph says this a lot uh, because she lives with chronic pain. When you live with chronic pain, you begin to realize, yeah, I'm not invincible, I'm human. There's limits to what I can do. So we got a sign in our day and it says, it's the best I can do, because she jokingly says that all the time, and I say it back, and we joke about it. But that's a great motto for her. That's not a great motto spiritually, in life. I'm doing the best I can do. Or, or I don't want to get to Christ as I'm about to go in heaven and say, I did the best I could. 
Because that's not our call in life. Don't just impact those around you the, the best you can. Don't just take the ground that you can. Again, I've been reading through Psalm. It says in Psalm 124 multiple times, if, I, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, this would have never happened. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, this also would have never happened. That's the kind of testimony I want to go to heaven with. That if the Lord hadn't been on my side, this would have never happened because I wasn't doing the best I could. I was doing the best the Spirit could do through me. And that's the game changer, the Holy Spirit. As we said again and again in this series, Ephesians 3.20, I love the verse. I think you probably love the verse where it says that God can do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond, immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. How? Through the power at work in us. Acts 1.8 talks about the Holy Spirit will come upon us in what power? Within us. The power to do what? Be a witness. How? Telling people about Jesus. Where? Everywhere. Acts 1.8 spells it out for us. We aren't called to just be another cloud that passes by. It's good to behold. It's good to look at. We're called to be good for something. A cloud with rain. A cloud that impacts the harvest. Jesus says in John 4, says, wake up and look around. Someone just need to hear those five words and take them home with us. Wake up and look around. He says, the fields are already hype, hype. <laughs> they are hype. They're already ripe for harvest, and we should be hype about it. The fields are already ripe for harvest. He's saying, look, the time, it's not later. It's not when you get a better handle on things. It's not when you feel more equipped. The time is now. The fields are ripe for harvest. So I would ask you, as the worship team could come up, ask you a couple questions. First, what's the Holy Spirit asking you to do now, today, this week, this month? What's the Holy Spirit asking you to do? What's he prompting you to do as your guide, as you walk in your witness as you step out of your comfort zone and he's your comforter, what's he asking you to do? And then the second question would be, what's holding you back? Is it you're clinging to your comfort? Is it fear of what man might think? Is it, um, it could be any of a bunch of things. But what is it? What's God asking you to do? What's holding you back? So as Chris comes up and the, the Hiltzes will be in the back for prayer, it's probably be the last Christmas reference of 2018 for you. But you look at the shepherds. You know, as the shepherds came and they responded to the angels and they saw Jesus, they encountered Jesus. It says, after seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Their first impulse after having an encounter with Jesus was to go be a witness to those around them to what had just happened. That was their first impulse. I think sometimes our first impulse when it comes to our call to evangelize and be a witness, sometimes it's an inward groan, like, I don't know if I'm up for it. I don't know if I can. But, you know, I think the key for the shepherds, the key that unlocked everything, is just verses later when it describes the shepherds. And it says, the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Glorifying and praising God. You know what helps your witness? <laughs> just living a life that glorifies and praises God in all you do. That takes it from being a yoke over your neck to simply being an overflow of glorifying God and praising him in all you do. So I would ask as Chris leads us, and as we, if you could stand, can we step into that praise right now? Can we glorify and worship Jesus for who he is right now? Can we re reflect on his goodness? Can we be filled with his spirit again? 
And man, if, if, if you ask those questions to yourself, what's the Holy Spirit prompting me to do? And you need somebody to stand with you in prayer. The Hilters are there. I'll be up here. Or if you realize, you know, the, the fear of man is something I need to shake off and release from my life. Realizing, man, I cling to my comfort zone and I need to let go. And you want to stand with somebody in prayer. The Hilters are there or I'll be up here. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to pray with you. But Jesus, in this moment, we turn to you in praise. We thank you again for who you are and all you've done for us. And I pray that our response will be like that of the shepherds. That our first impulse would be to share the good news. Speak of the good news. That the Holy Spirit would fill us tonight with power. Not just for any reason, but so that we can be your witnesses. Telling people about you everywhere that you've placed us. But Jesus, we praise you and glorify you this moment. We praise your name. There's nothing more and more that can ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. Oh, I've tasted and seen. Of the sweetest of loves When my heart becomes free And my shame is undone Your presence, Lord So we say today The Holy Spirit You are welcome Come flood this place Feel the atmosphere, your glory. 